way back in the time before COVID, which you may or may not remember. Does this sound familiar? You, uh, you may, I don't know what time has been like for you, but for me, this could have happened about 10 years ago. In reality, it was about 10 months ago. I was in the uh, sacristy. It was on a Sunday morning. And one of our counters uh, brought to me uh, a donation somebody had given that morning. And it was a, a $20 bill. But the part of this bill that uh, well, kind of stunned me, took my breath away a little bit, was seeing uh, that it had been defaced or uh, rather refaced in that um, somebody had very carefully made an ink stamp with the face of Harriet Tubman and placed it on that $20 bill over the top of Andrew Jackson. Now, a little bit of uh, backstory. You may remember that uh, in 2016, the United States Department of Treasury announced that they were going to redesign the $20 bill and that Harriet Tubman would take uh, Andrew Jackson's place. And then, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, it was supposed to debut this year, 2020. And then a couple of years ago, uh, the Department of Treasury, under the Trump administration, delayed that release until 2030, uh, citing technical difficulties. So when I... Uh, saw this $20 bill that had been changed, something in me changed. Uh, I realized that for some people, they could now uh, see this, this uh, bill as worthless, right? null and void. But for me, it was as if... Um, well, it was as if this bill that was the same size and the same shape and the same denomination now was able to move through this world with greater purpose. The concept of money is a really strange thing. Uh, we have been using different items for thousands and thousands of years all around the world as humans to try and denote value. And, you know, often we'll use things like shells because they are particular and because they don't biodegrade easily. But it's really not until the 7th century BCE that money comes into existence. And it takes place in the kingdom of Lydia, which is an area that we now know as uh, Western Turkey is on one of these trade routes that went between Asia and Europe. And uh, the kingdom of Lydia had a lot of deposits of this uh, metal called electrum, um, which is a great name for a metal. Uh, but the problem with electrum is it's, it's this composite of both gold and silver, which makes it a lot less valuable than you and so they were trying to figure out what to do with this. And so what they did was they, they took lumps of electrum 
and they stamp something on it. And with that stamp came the birth of money. So it turns out you need two things to make money. One is you need a government behind it that is willing to say, this is what this inanimate object is going to be used for. They get to uh, supposedly control it as long as, number two, people put their trust in it. Right? Because that's one of the strange things about money. It only means anything because governments and systems and people are willing to trust it. In this case, uh, the, the people of Lydia uh, trusted in their government enough to use it. In fact, these, these lumps of electrum with the stamp of a lion have ended up all over the ancient world. And it is very strange that we invest so much attention and value in something that is traded between governments, within governments, often just to pay taxes. Because the trust that we are placing in these systems and governments and people, well, sometimes, but not always, do they have anything to do God. So uh, that's what we get in our gospel today. As you may have heard Maggie preach last week, at this point in Matthew's gospel, um, the net is drawing tighter and tighter around Jesus. And it's not clear that he knows how imminent his death is. But the people who keep coming to test him, with every test, it ratchets up in intensity. It's getting really fraught. Today, uh, Jesus is in the temple, and there are two groups that have come to test him. And what's interesting about these groups, it's as if the, um, the framer of Matthew's gospel is giving us this two, these two characters order to frame the story. One is a group that we are familiar with. They are known as the Pharisees. They have sent some of their students or disciples. The Pharisees are a sect in the first century that were known for very closely and devoutly following the law. The other group we don't know as much about. They're called the Herodians. We don't know much except that if their name is going to be derived from the vassal king, Herod, of the Roman Empire, then they must have some sympathy for the empire there in Palestine. So these are the two groups. And they uh, come before Jesus asking a question that uh, I think it reverberates all the way to our day. In fact, it's why so much of the last months and years have been so challenging for us as a body politic. Is it right 
just? Is it morally acceptable to pay taxes so that Caesar can run an Well, uh, Jesus seems to be one who never wants to waste an object lesson. So, uh, he says to the scholars gathered, show me the coin that is used to pay these taxes. Reach into your pocket. It's probably there. So they reach into their pocket and they bring out a denarius. And he says, whose face is on that coin? Whose title is on that coin? Now this is almost a rhetorical question because everybody there knew. The answer is Caesar Augustus Tiberius. And the inscription is Son of the Divine God. So, uh, for those of you who are counting at home, that's uh, a graven image and an idolatrous claim. Two broken commandments in one coin. What, uh, what I think has, in the end, these religious scholars so amazed is that they came looking to trap Jesus and pretending as if they themselves were not trapped. And he shows us that they, that we, are complicit in this web that has been woven. Right? They come um, bearing to Jesus what they consider to be an unsolvable binary. That something is either spiritual or it is material. Something is sacred or it is profane. They come hoping to spring a trap. And Jesus does pull the pin. But rather than spring the trap, he makes it fall apart. Because what Jesus does is he integrates the binary. He says, yeah, there is Caesar. And the taxes that you pay go to Caesar. And there is God. And you give to God. He says that we are inevitably and inextricably involved in two economies. They occupy the same space. It's us. So uh, I suppose in the end, we all have this coin in our pockets. Whether it has a lion or an emperor or a president on it. We have to choose how to live faithfully with it. And it's not that Caesar is uh, going to take righteous actions 
Sometimes Caesar does. In our case, it's why we pay our taxes. It's why we vote. It's why we vote on the taxes that are laid upon us. We do not absent ourselves from the political sphere as much as when we get into those places where the, the trap feels really, really tight and all we want to do is escape. But uh, escaping And it's not that money in and of itself is evil, but it sure does expose us. It exposes what we fear and what we desire. It shows us what we treasure and what we don't. And in looking at what we have, it shows to everyone around us where we place our trust. And that's why I wonder if the most subversive, radical, and liberative word in our gospel passage is word give. As in, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. Give. Give. Uh, give it a new face so that it might liberate. Give it away so that it will no longer possess you. Give so that you might be set free.